the Lord be with you and also with you. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. In virtual worship, our sanctuary empty, we gather this Eastertide, April 19th, 2020. We gather in the spirit of one who sang, unite the pair so long disjoined, knowledge and vital piety, learning and holiness combined, truth and love for all to see. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation through WBUR 90.9 FM and our listenership now and later at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the spirit moves, and when and as the virus abates, your presence with us here in worship. If you are wrestling with anxiety or depression in this different season, we at Marsh are at your service and disposal in ministry and will respond if and as able. Today's service of worship includes the greeting and sermon new this week, along with music and liturgy rebroadcast from Eastertide's past. Although our nave is empty, the music this day is full. With joy and pride, we welcome our preacher today, April 19th, 2020, our own university chaplain for international students, Dr. Jessica Chica, who's preaching voice, global ministry, climate engagement, and pastoral presence have become so central in these years to our Marsh ministry. Her theme, the right time. And to our Marsh congregation in particular today, we say, we long for the day we will be together again in the venerable pews of this hallowed nave. One day, one day it shall be. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
May we pray. Almighty and everlasting God, who in the Paschal mystery established the new covenant of reconciliation, grant that all who have been reborn into the fellowship of Christ's body may show forth in their lives what they profess by their faith through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, beloved, it is our practice to begin each week with a moment of quiet, of meditation, to recognize that but for the grace of God we would not be, and but for the grace of God we could not love, and but for the grace of God we should not speak. But by God's grace we live, we love, we speak. As the choir sings for us, let us lift our prayers of silent confession. Let us pray. guide us to remember the teaching of Scripture. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven us. Hear good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks, Thanks be to God. A lesson from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, being more precious than gold that, though perishable, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. For you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Please join me in reading verses responsibly from Psalm 16, along with the Antiphon. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, and I have a glorious heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. The Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my soul rejoices. My body also dwells secure. For you do not give me up to the shield, or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Please rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Glory, Glory to you, you, O Lord. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, 
was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and, and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord It's strange to preach this sermon to an empty chapel with the doors locked. As we continue practicing safe social distancing, Marsh Chapel has moved to recording a new sermon and greeting each week with pre-recorded material from services in years past when we were able to physically gather together in community. We pray that we will all safely return to greeting one another from closer than a six-foot distance and come together in the nave of Marsh Chapel in the future, but not before public health officials tell us it is possible to do so. In the meantime, we are glad for our virtual community and hope that you and yours are well and pray for those experiencing illness or loss at this time. When the concern for public health arose in mid-March, we learned that staying at home if we were non-essential workers would be one of the best ways to flatten the curve. Those of us able to do so without losing employment find ourselves in a privileged position. Students were sent home to learn from afar via online platforms and parents' work schedules were quickly upended by balancing family responsibilities with working from home. The first few weeks we spent trying to adjust to sharing space with our loved ones 24-7, trying to establish new routines, and adapting to remote socializing and business. Initially, We may have thought that this would only last a few weeks. We would get back to normal sooner rather than later. And these series of events would just be a bump in the road that we would look back on later in the year and say, oh yeah, those couple of weeks were strange, but I'm glad it's over now. As one week of staying at home turned into two weeks, turned into three, and now a month, It appears that this reality will be our foreseeable future until enough testing and public health measures can be taken to ensure that we can slowly start emerging from our houses. The past month of staying home has had an interesting effect on time. Every day has started to meld into the next as we lack changes in our locations and interactions with others. 
Catching up with friends via Zoom or FaceTime quickly devolves into conversations about the most recent news, most of it depressing, or what shows you've binged in the last week. Keeping track of what happened on which day, what day today is, how many days we've been at home has become a challenge as we start to feel a little like Bill Murray's character in Groundhog Day, reliving the same patterns over and over again. Our experience of chronological time has been affected, leaving us feeling like time itself might not exist in the haze of this pandemic. On top of our loss of chronological time, however, we are continually reminded that our experience is extraordinary, or as you may have heard so frequently in the past few weeks, unprecedented. Despite the monotony many of us are experiencing in our daily lives, the effects on the economy, our healthcare system, and communities of color who face the highest infection and death rates have led to national and global upheaval. These are unprecedented times. Unprecedented is the fancier, shorter way of saying never before. And it's true, these times are like nothing any of us have experienced before. We find ourselves trying to mentally cope with circumstances that seem to only worsen as the days go by with no known end in sight. How do we respond to this crisis? Are we scared? Are we steadfast? Are we questioning? Do we reject it in disbelief or cynicism? Even when our immediate situation might come to a close, we do not know what the future holds and anticipate that we will not be able to return to business as usual. In today's gospel, the disciples also experience an unprecedented circumstance. Chronologically, not much time has passed between Jesus' death on Friday and the evening of the first day of the week. They are in the immediate aftermath of a traumatic situation. Fearful, they gather together in hiding after the death of Jesus, having heard from Mary Magdalene that she saw Jesus at the tomb after his death. They still do not believe that his resurrection could have been possible. As biblical scholar Joy J. Moore states, the disciples are fearful. Good news does not erase fear. Good news, incredible news, can ignite hope, but even hope does not eliminate genuine fear. So there they were in a familiar place, desperate with unfamiliar fear. Locked inside, they encounter Jesus for themselves, first surprised and scared, and then amazed at what they had seen. It makes sense then that Thomas, who was not with them, reacts the same way that the disciples did at hearing Mary's account of Jesus' appearance. He doesn't believe because who could? People coming back from the dead isn't a normal occurrence. After witnessing the brutal way Jesus was treated by the authorities, how could he possibly come back from the dead and speak to the disciples? The realities of the situation overshadow the possibilities for belief in such an unprecedented act. Imagine the week between Jesus' appearance to the disciples and Thomas's experience. 
The disciples, transformed and full of hope after their encounter, unsuccessfully try to convince Thomas of this new reality, who, for logical reasons, cannot accept his friend's accounts. Thomas wants not only to see, but to touch, to fully understand this new reality. He wants concrete assurance in the claims that his friends are making. In a time of crisis, he seeks out tangible confirmation that the reality they claim is true. What happens to Thomas in encountering Jesus is much more than just a recognition of the person he knew in resurrected form, as the rest of the disciples have reported. We hear from Thomas's lips the ultimate recognition of who Jesus truly is, my Lord and my God. This moment of recognition is more than just out of amazement. It is a deep-seated understanding of the true nature of Jesus as an indwelling with God in Christ. A kairos moment is revealed through this utterance. Kairos, a Greek word for time, refers to the right time, whereas chronos refers to formal time, or the time we know which flows in a linear fashion. There is a difference between these two words, especially in how they are used in the New Testament. Kairos is specifically used to signify times which are appointed by God for a specific purpose. Thomas's recognition of the true nature of Jesus exposes a fundamental shift in God's relationship with the world through Christ. It will ignite the possibility of hope in the face of fear and belief in times of, in a, in times of uncertainty. The presence of a resurrected Jesus reminds Thomas, the disciples, and us of the divine power that undergirds our existence and spurs us to action in the world. We too are in a Kairos moment. Famed Protestant theologian Paul Tillich frames Kairos in this way. Kairos in its unique and universal sense is for Christian faith, the appearing of Jesus as the Christ. Kairos in its general and special sense for the philosopher of history is every turning point in history in which the eternal judges and transforms the temporal. Tillich then goes on to explain the specific use of Kairos in moments of crisis, which open up a connection between what he calls the unconditional, an experiential quality which most of us would refer to as the ultimate or as God, and the conditional, the regular everyday act interactions we have. In Tillich, we hear an echo of Thomas's Kairos moment. He asserts the need to see and touch to believe, but in the moment of seeing and touches, touching experiences a transcendence which enables him to identify the divine nature of Jesus. Tillich argues that we should be open to the Kairos moments which can help us adequately address the challenges of crisis moments in our society in prophetic ways to make change. Kairos moments help us to see the possibility of God's kingdom on earth. Last week, Dean Hill called us to see with resurrection eyes. That is, to see the world in the midst of struggle in a new way, filled with possibility and hope, rather than darkness and death. 
In experiencing their own Kairos moment in seeing Jesus resurrected, the disciples too are seeing with resurrection eyes. While they still may have some fear and uncertainty present within them, they also carry the hope of the good news of resurrection with them. They hold in tension the physical realities of this world and the world beyond death that Jesus reveals to them through God. We must also be willing to let this moment in time, this moment of Kairos when we experience so much turmoil, call us to action. Perhaps one of the best rhetorical examples of Kairos was given in April 1967 by Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in discussing the pressing need to address the Vietnam War. King stated, we are now faced with the fact that tomorrow is today. We are confronted with the fierce urgency of now. In this unfolding conundrum of life and history, there is such a thing as being too late. This is no time for apathy or complacency. This is a time for vigorous and positive action. The fierce urgency of now awakens the prophetic voice within us that seeks out justice and righteousness for the world. In many ways, the response to our current crisis is too late. We have lost tens of thousands of people to COVID-19 in the United States, more than any other country in the world at this point. Our failure to respond quickly and preemptively to this crisis has created major upheavals in our lives and in our social and economic structures, exposing the cracks present in our system, leading to an almost complete and total collapse. When it becomes necessary for essential workers to risk their health in order to earn a paycheck because without it they would not survive, we need to reevaluate what our priorities are. When those laid off cannot access their state unemployment offices to begin earning benefits because of stressed resources, we need to reevaluate what our priorities are. When those who are marginalized by our society cannot get access to the health care they need until it is an absolute emergency, we need to reevaluate what our priorities are. When healthcare workers cannot effectively do their jobs without fear of being infected because they lack proper protective gear, which in turn governors have to battle over to gain access to, we need to reevaluate what our priorities are. The pandemic has shown us what can go wrong when we do not adequately prepare for the safety and security of others, when our leadership fails us, when we question the advice of experts in order to soothe our desire for our lives to be uninterrupted. While the coronavirus has led us to an immediate public health crisis, which we must respond to or face large-scale sickness and death, Climate change is also a looming crisis which over time will create global instability on economic, ecological, and social levels. Almost exactly 50 years ago, 20 million Americans gathered all across our country, raising the public consciousness about growing environmental crises and the need to address them in order to secure a more sustainable future. Their prophetic voices joined together in response to the effects of 
widespread pollution on Earth's systems. Rivers on fire, mass extinctions caused by pesticides, clouds of smog from leaded gasoline, and risks to human health in places like Love Canal, New York, demanded a change in how, how Americans treated the Earth. The first Earth Day was held nationally on April 22, 1970, spurred by the words and actions of Senator Gaylord Nelson, an environmentalist from Wisconsin, who stated, our goal is not just an environment of clean air and water and scenic beauty. The objective, objective is an environment of decency, quality, and mutual respect for all other human beings and all other living creatures. Earth Day would spur the federal government to establish the Environmental Protection Agency, which was then tasked with governmental oversight of laws like the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, and the Resource Conservation and Recovery Act. Over time, our understanding of the injustices of environmental degradation has grown. Earth Day is now a global recognition of the ways we are all connected and our need to preserve our fragile ecosystems to promote the health of the earth and by default, the health of the human race. The challenge with environmental degradation is that it is not always immediately apparent. While fiercely urgent on a historical timeline of human existence, the problems of the future seem too far off to address in the present moment. In 1970, people called for drastic changes to the ways we consumed with the thought of protecting the earth for future generations. The resulting regulations implemented created conditions that pushed off negative consequences and as a result, many skeptics thought that the initial concern was an overreaction. But that's the thing with prevention. If it works, the negative outcomes that are forecasted will not arise because we acted expediently to address them. The old adage is true. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Climate change still looms as a force that could continue to upend our normal lives. Flooding, droughts, rising sea levels, and increases in the spread of new viruses, including those which cause pandemics, will all result from climate change in the coming years. In fact, scientists have been predicting for years that pandemics would be a consequence of climate change. We cannot say we were not warned about these devastating events when they happen. The pandemic crisis we fa face now is a wake-up call. It is a Kairos moment when we can accept the presence of God's kingdom on earth in following our call to be good neighbors, stewards, and seekers of justice. We can pretend that climate change and new illnesses will not affect us but the reality is that they all will. We live in a closed system. We are all connected. Ignoring the advisement of scientists and scholars will not make our future problems go away. Refusing to see or hear what happens to others as a means of self-preservation ultimately creates chaos for all. 
we have the opportunity to seek out new ways to support one another by creating lasting systemic change that ensures we all have access to health care, that everyone can earn a living wage, and that we can care for the earth, which ultimately cares for us. We cannot go back to normal when this is over. We must be changed by this Kairos moment. What we do now makes a difference in what the future will hold. Our faith is the foundation of this. Our belief in that which is not yet seen is what can be. The right time is now. Amen. We now come to, to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. Creator of the universe, as the weather begins to warm our city and our days continue to grow longer, we pray that we see your beauty in the creation around us. We pray for every brief moment before us, and we pray that we see the significance in it all. We pray that we see our meaning as beings grounded in you. We pray for our community that we may continue to be an outpouring of love to the tapestries of society that we are a part of. We pray for the Boston University community as many students begin to face the most stressful periods in their semesters. We pray for those around us in need. We pray for those around us facing pain and suffering, both spoken and outspoken, that they may find the comfort they need. We pray for our planet that so desperately needs protection. We pray for the environment that we often neglect. We pray that we never forget our humble place in existence and we understand the great responsibilities we have as beings on earth. We pray that we do not take for granted the wonder and grandeur of nature. We pray for the current leaders in our world that they may work for justice, truth, and unity. 
We pray that we may see through the divides in our communities, in our societies, and in our own lives. In this all, we pray that we may accept and embrace the tensions in our lives, rejecting a resentment of existence, and standing faithfully courageous and humbly present in the midst of tension, reflecting the inspiring, humble life of the one who took on the tension of existence with faithful courage, Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. And as our Lord, Savior Christ has taught us, we now pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
O ever-loving God, we offer you these gifts in praise of your blessing. You exemplify your love for us through your teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. With your guidance, we hope to grow as individuals and spread your love. May these gifts being offered exemplify our never-ending gratitude for your compassion and forgiveness. We pray these things in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The God of steadfastness and encouragement grant, grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. The God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The God of all grace bless you now and forever. Amen. <laughs> 